right, our second reading this morning is from Romans chapter 6. I will read verses 15 through 23. Hear the word of God. What then are, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin... You have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time? from the things of which you are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you. We thank you for the saints who are gathered here in this room this morning. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we welcome you uh, here this morning. You promised that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, that you would also be here. And so we welcome you this morning. Lord, we pray that as we gather around your uh, word, that you would speak a word to us uh, this morning, that it would find its place in our heart and shape our minds, uh, and change our lives. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I always found the lyrics of Bob Dylan hopelessly vague. And I think most people who think that Bob Dylan is profound are, in fact, reading their own profound thoughts into Dylan's less-than-precise language. But there is... A song by Bob Dylan that kept coming to mind as I was writing this sermon. The title is Gotta Serve Somebody. And frankly, the title says about as much as the whole song says, even though it is a rather long ditty. Dylan goes through 24 lines where he tries to name every conceivable category of person on planet Earth, rich, poor, doctor, preacher, construction worker, politician, socialite, rock star. And all of these people, to them he says the same thing. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. As it turns out, the Apostle Paul, in the passage that we read from Romans this morning, is saying the exact same thing. We're going to have to serve somebody. We can serve sin, which leads to death, or we can serve righteousness, which leads to sanctification and eternal life. The choice is ours, but we're going to have to serve somebody. Now, before I dig into this sermon, I want to clear up one prickly matter at the get-go. 
This word slaves appears eight times in the text that we read this morning. The kind of slavery that we are most familiar with in the United States was the product of white people kidnapping black people and shipping them across an ocean from Africa to the Americas. For the people enslaved, there was no hope of freedom and there was no hope of return because their race made it impossible to blend in with the free population and because the distance home was insurmountable. In the Roman Empire, where Paul lived, slavery was rather different. It wasn't based on race. Slaves and masters looked like each other, and they often came from the same areas. It was not uncommon for slaves to be highly educated, to have very responsible jobs. During the reign of Emperor Nero, which is during the life of the Apostle Paul, slaves even had the right to sue their masters in the court of law. So while no one ever wants to be a slave... Slavery in ancient Rome was a very different institution than we had here in the United States. And I want us to be careful to not immediately think of the American model of slavery when Paul mentions slaves. Now, aside from that history, there are also three important textual reasons to not confuse slavery as Paul understands it with American-style slavery. First, the word in Greek that Paul uses for slaves is douloi, and this word can mean either slaves or servants. It can apply to people who receive no money for their work, and also to people who have been hired for wages. It can apply to people who've been captured in war and are carried off as booty, or it can apply to people who have signed themselves up as an indentured servant. Second, In verse 16, Paul says, If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, or as the NIV says it, when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves. Now, that phrase, to present yourself or to offer yourself as an obedient slave, makes no sense. In the American-style slavery context, people who were kidnapped in West Africa and shipped to the New World didn't present themselves. They didn't offer themselves as obedient slaves. They had no choice in the matter. And third, in the familiar payoff sentence of this passage that we read a little bit earlier, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. And by wages, he means the payment due to these slaves of sin. Now, we all know that slaves, as we understand them in the Americas, did not receive wages. So, slaves probably isn't the best word to translate Paul's douloi. But what is clear is that Paul is talking about people who have to take orders from someone else. Now... Think for a moment about some contemporary examples of people who have to take orders. Maybe the person stuck in a dead-end job that he hates, but that he can't quit because he needs the health care coverage for his family. Or how about the enlisted soldier who is not free to come and go as she pleases, but who obeys orders given to her by her commanding officer. Maybe you can think of other examples of people who simply must take 
the orders that's given to them. Maybe that feels like your life. What Paul is talking about and what Bob Dylan is talking about is this obligation that we find ourselves under to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but we're going to serve somebody. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear Paul and when I hear Bob Dylan announce that it's either God or it's the devil, that it's either sin or it's righteousness, that it's either the one or the other and you have to choose. When I hear that kind of either-or contrast, the philosopher in me wonders if we haven't stumbled into a false dichotomy. A dichotomy is a division of a set into two mutually exclusive subsets. For the set of all players... On the field, during a baseball game, each player is either on the home team or on the visiting team. That's a dichotomy. For the set of all whole numbers, each number is either odd or it's even. That's a dichotomy. But a false dichotomy is a fallacy that divides a set into two groups... But those two groups don't necessarily account for every possible member of the set. For the set of all pickup trucks, each truck is either a Chevy or a Ford. Now that's a false dichotomy because some trucks are Dodges and some are Nissans. For the set of all American voters, each voter is either a Democrat or a Republican. That's a false dichotomy because some of us are independents and some of us are libertarians. False dichotomies are very common. We hear them all of the time, particularly in political rhetoric. And the problem with them is that they leave out very real options by artificially restricting our choices to just two. The false dichotomy is more black and white than reality is. So is it possible That Paul, is it possible that Bob Dylan have overstated their cases and created a false dichotomy? Is it possible that there are other options besides serving the devil or serving the Lord? Is it possible that there are other options besides serving sin or righteousness? Say, for example, could I serve myself? Could I serve my country? Could I serve my family or my tribe or my company and not be serving either the devil or the Lord? Could my service to myself be neutral with regard to the devil and the Lord? Neutral with regard to sin and righteousness? Do I really have to be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness? Couldn't I just be free and be myself? Is it possible that there is a third way between this hard and fast black and white contrast between God and the devil? This is actually a very important question, and I'm going to have to ask you for a little patience because I will get to the answer after a long and winding road. I'm going to begin all the way back at the beginning, all the way back at creation, and I'm going to end up with John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band. So please be patient. This is going to take some time. The doctrine of creation is more fundamental and more foundational to our faith than many Christians appreciate. 
And the old fight between evolution and creation, between science and the Bible, is a false fight. A false fight that has distracted many Christians from the essential questions. As Christians, we believe that this world is not a self-existing random accident. But we believe that it was intentionally made by a God who spoke it into existence out of nothing. And that it is sustained in its existence each moment by God. As Christians, we believe that humans have a unique place within God's creation because we, of all created things, were made in God's image. Now, some Christians believe that God's creation happened through a process that unfolded over the course of billions of years. And other Christians believe that God's creation happened through a process that unfolded over the course of six days. People of good faith disagree about the length of time that this creation process took. But what they absolutely agree upon is that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The biblical doctrine of creation we share with Christians all around the world and throughout history. And what this doctrine teaches is that we are neither a random accident nor are we self-made. So why is that important? It's important because if we are a random accident and if we have no maker... If we are self-made, then we are free to invent for ourselves our own purposes and our own rules of operation. The one who makes a thing determines its uses and its purposes. The one who makes a thing determines the rules by which it must be operated to accomplish those uses and purposes. The doctrine of creation says that God designed us and made us. And so God is the one who determines our purposes and sets our rules. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? In contemporary language, we would say, what is the primary purpose for people or what were we designed for? And the answer given is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. In other words, God created us When God created us, he had two linked purposes in mind. Number one, that we should bring him glory. And number two, that we should have a good time doing it. Purpose number one and purpose number two are connected because, as John Piper likes to say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Which is kind of cool. We're made to enjoy God. That's what we were designed for. And when we do enjoy God, we in fact bring glory to God. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist, existed and were created. The Bible teaches that we were made to know God. And to enjoy Him forever. The Bible teaches that we were not made for ourselves. But that we were made for our Creator. And the Bible promises that if we live according to God's law. God's instruction manual. That it will go well with us and with our communities. 
I have a weed whacker at home. Not that I have used it this year, but I, I own one. And it has a two-stroke engine, which means that you have to put in a mixture of gas and oil into the tank, a very precise mixture. And if you run the machine with the wrong mixture, or if you just pour in gasoline the way you do with your lawnmower, the blasted thing will burn up and die. The instruction manual that came with the machine lays out all of the details. The instruction manual was written by the engineers who designed the machine. And the only way for that machine to accomplish its purposes, the only way for that machine to have a long life, is for me to follow the instruction manual. Not that I want to. Because if you know me, then you know that I hate it when people tell me what to do or how to do anything. And after all, it is my machine. I bought it. So aren't I allowed to do whatever I want with it? Who are you to tell me how to use my weed whacker? Now, we might have the right to do something that is contrary to the instruction manual. But exercising that right is pure, self-destructive foolishness. In God's instruction manual, God teaches us how to live. In a thousand ways, through the law, through the prophets, through the apostles, the Bible teaches us how we are to live and conduct our lives to best accomplish the purposes for which God has designed us. If we respect and protect all human life, whether young or old, if we honor all people, whether they're from our tribe or from another tribe, if we always speak the truth in love, if we keep our promises, if we never steal or covet someone else's property but are satisfied with what we have, if we give hospitality to migrants, if we give assistance to people in need, if we honor and protect marriage as the lifelong bond between a man and a woman and the context in which children are born and nurtured, if we worship God and set aside a Sabbath every week, if we're humble... And count others as more important than ourselves. If we take care that no unwholesome talk comes out of our mouths. But only words that build up other people. If we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves. God tells us that if we do these things that it will go well with us. That we and our communities will flourish. And all of that only makes sense if God is our designer, if God is our creator, if God is the writer of our instruction manual. If God designed us and made us, then he knows best how we should live. Satan's sin and the temptation that Satan then offered to Adam and Eve in the garden was to put the creature in the place of the creator. Satan wanted to be self-made, self-determined. He wanted to write his own instruction manual. How many of us are doing exactly that with our lives? How many of us are living according to the rule book that we wrote? Satan told Adam and Eve that if they sinned, that they would be like God. 
That's really the fundamental temptation. That's really what we're always after. That's really what we want, to be self-created so that we can call the shots. If we are self-created, if we are self-made, if we are self-designed, as so many people want to believe, then we get to write the instruction manual. We get to determine our purpose and our use, and we get to determine what is right and wrong, and we get to say how it is that we're supposed to live. The rejection of God as the Creator... The rejection of our status as finite creatures created by an infinite God gives us the ideological foundation to say, we can do as we please. If there is no God, then we can make the world in our own image. In perhaps the greatest and most seductive anti-God hymn written in the 20th century, John Lennon tempts his listeners to adopt an anti-creator point of view. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for Today. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? It is the same lovely temptation offered in the Garden of Eden. Eat it, and you'll be like the gods. No one above you. So here's the answer to the question we asked a long and winding road ago. Is it possible... That there's a third way between this hard and fast black and white contrast between God and the devil? No. The answer is no. There is no third way. Because ultimately the dichotomy is between whether or not we are created or self-created. Satan says that we can be self-created, self-made, self-determining. And he seduces us into thinking that everything will be grand if we just make up our own rule book. God, on the other hand, says that we're not self-made, but that in fact we were made by him. And that we were made for a specific purpose. And then he gave us an instruction manual about how to live so that we can accomplish those purposes. If we accept the doctrine of creation... The doctrine that tells us that a good and wise and loving and intelligent and powerful and eternal God designed us and made us for a specific use and purpose, then what Paul says and what Bob Dylan says makes perfect sense. We can either do things God's way or we can do things the wrong way. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but we're going to have to serve somebody. There really are... Only two options. We can serve sin. We usually think of it, of it as serving ourselves, as living by our own set of rules, or we can serve God, which is living by His rules. The last verse of our reading this morning is familiar to us. It's a verse that's often quoted, sometimes quoted out of context. Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, But the free gift of God is eternal life. Sin burns us up. 
and wears us out. It hurts not only us, but it hurts our families and it hurts our communities. When we sin, we get what we deserve. We get our wages. But the gospel offers us an alternative. The gospel doesn't say that we're going to live a sin-free life, but the gospel does, um, by faith in Jesus Christ, give us forgiveness of the sins that we will commit when on those occasions we ignore God's instructions. And also God begins to heal and to restore what we've damaged in our misuse of ourselves and our misuse of God's creation. Paul's letter to the Romans is written to Christians. It's written to born-again believers. His letter is written to us. He is encouraging us to see clearly in black and white starkness the choice that we have. He's encouraging us to no longer use our bodies and our time and our money and our lives in disobedience to God's law. He's encouraging us to no longer be slaves to sin. And he's encouraging us instead to become servants or slaves of righteousness, to use our body and our money and our time and our lives in obedience to God's law. And then there is the promise that when we do that, it will go well with us. My prayer for us this day as followers of Jesus Christ, is that we would take this contrast seriously and that we would take the promise of blessing to heart as well. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. And we pray that your eternal word would find its place uh, in this day, in our lives, here in this room, in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would uh, chase after you and that we would love you earnestly, that we would pursue you Uh, with our lives and with our desires. I pray that we would have our eyes upon you. pray that we would run this race that you've set out before us with enthusiasm, uh, chasing that crown that you've put before us. Father God, take our lives and use them for your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.